The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. I invite your attention this morning to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Uh, we're in the midst of about an 11-week series. We're about halfway through the book of 1 John as we have been studying through this year the Back to the Basics. And uh, if you're visiting with us or it's been a while, we started our year with who God is, who God is. And then in May, we tackled what worship is. And then we had a few Ask the Pastor questions. And since that time in uh, July, we've been here in 1 John a book that many of you, and I appreciate your feedback on this, uh, many of you have said, this has been a heartwarming book to me uh, because the truth is so raw, I think, as the youth would say. The truth is very real, and it's very uh, up in your face. So uh, just be, thank God for that, that, that grace. You know, this is one of the last quiet weeks around the office before things pick up around here, too. And so I just want to say thank you. If you've helped at anything this summer from VBS to youth camp to uh, back to school, thank you all so much for your work this summer. But it's hard to believe, Awana workers, that Awana starts, Miss Verlene, in about three and a half weeks, uh, somewhere in there. Time really does fly. So you be in prayer for that. But thank you to all those who have helped along the way. All right. So how many of y'all have watched the Olympics? Come on, be honest. Raise your hands. How many of y'all just don't care about the Olympics? You just want to watch the Chiefs lose in the last minute. Okay. All right. So that's my Chiefs plug for the day. There it is. I love the Chiefs. You know, we do not have a TV in our house, and we don't get uh, streaming or anything like that. We have internet. But uh, one thing I was looking at this week is I wonder what some differences were between the old Olympics way back in the Greek times, like Bible times-ish, and now the new Olympics. And I found four quick facts I think you'll find very, very interesting. And if you know these, after I say them, I want you to raise your hand if you don't. But be honest and, and let me know. Uh, first thing that's different is today's games, anyone can compete who qualifies from any nation. But back then, did you know that only Greeks were allowed to participate? Anyone know that? Like five hands go up. That's good. That's good. Uh, back in the day, in the early BC times, only men were allowed to compete. And most of you all know that. How many of y'all knew that the first ladies Olympic sport was actually croquet? Anyone know that? All right, Nancy, Nancy, you're on my team for, uh, it's not Pictionary, whatever that game is where you guess, Jeopardy, Trivial Pursuit, right? There's another difference. Of course, now women and men can compete equally at that time. Uh, how many of y'all knew that the ancient Greek games were to be sacrifices to the Greek god Zeus? That's why they did the Greek games. It was back then. Uh, today, there, uh, there were 100 oxen back then. There are no oxen today, just a lot of uh, dead fish in the water, apparently, that's going around. Back in number four, uh, the last fact is, is they only had one winner back in the ancient Olympics. How many of y'all knew that? Just out of curiosity. A couple hands go up. How many do we have today? We have a lot. Or uh, if you're uh, Michael Phelps, says, what's that guy's name? His uh, buddy, the second best ever. Yeah, if you're the second best ever swimmer guy and you know Michael Phelps, he's got like 38 golds to his name or something like that, whatever it is. It's crazy. How many of y'all enjoy the Olympics? Be honest. Olympics are a lot of fun. One hand goes up, so come on baseball season. But, you know, I love comparing and contrasting because I think that's how you learn. 
we compare the old times with the new times to learn what we can appreciate this time around. So, for instance, if I were to tell you, say the word tall, you would immediately think what? Short. If I were to say fast, you would think slow. Someone posted on Facebook uh, something about that the 100-meter runners are actually pretty, they look pretty slow when they run that 100 meters, but they're still faster than we'll ever be, right? That's how it is. What if I say hot, you say cold. What if I say chiefs, you say royals, that's right, yeah, something like that. Compare and contrast the teams. But you know, compare and contrast are all around us. If I say CC's, you say Pizza Street, right, you get the idea. If I say Missouri, you say Indiana, Indiana, Kansas, that's right. If you're visiting with us, I like to have fun from the pulpit up here. Compare and contrast are all around us, aren't they? And what we're going to see, as we have seen the last several weeks in John, is that we are going to see comparing of those who know Christ against those who don't. But even though, like the Greek games that are ancient, these words are ancient, the word still applies today. Unlike the Olympics, John is not going to put a new spin on anything. His word stands forever. And so John has told us already that there are people who are anti-Christ in Christ. There are people who keep God's commands and those who don't. There are people who hate the brothers and love the brothers, who love God and who are children of the devil. Quite stark language, isn't it? It really is. And that's 1 John, and that's the refreshing thing about 1 John. One verse that came to mind as I was studying through this this week comes from Proverbs 14.31, and it's another compare and contrast. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And that is a vein of thought that John's going to show us today as we answer another question. Can I know God and hold on to my life and hate the brothers? Because friends, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that often we think our heart is better than it is. But Matt, thank you for reading that. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? So even when we think we stack up pretty well with other Christians or the Lord, often God comes off with that other contrast to the Holy Spirit and shows us, where we are. So how do you love the brothers? How do you stay on the good side of what John is talking about here? Or the better question is, how do you know for sure that you know that you know that you know you are truly a Christian? comes back to one word. It's the word love. It really does come back to that. It's a great reminder for us today from the big idea that the church is a horde. I love that word. The church is a horde of people who know how down they are. Not like down like cool, okay? Like down, like They're down, like in life and spiritually and otherwise. They know how much they need a Savior, but they also know how much they need each other. And that's exactly where John is going to today. As we've been studying up to this point, the big theme that John has had for us is God is light. And anyone who is not in that light, the compare and contrast is he's not a Christian. Now the message shifts to another phrase. It's God is love. And if the love you show one to another in the body of Christ is not there then John will make the argument, you know not Christ. Because isn't this what Jesus said? He said, by this, we all people will know that you are my disciples. If you what? You love one another, John 13, 35. And so today, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at three things. Can I know God and hold on to my life? And and you'll see these up on the screen here. Can I know God and hold on to my life? Well, you're going to love as God says love and not follow the example of Cain. You're going to serve and follow Christ's model. And finally, you're going to see that love, in the biblical sense, reassures your heart that you truly know him. I don't know about you, 
but as an athlete, they're, they're, Russia right now is going through some crazy stuff. Isn't Russia always going through crazy stuff? But, you know, Russia's athletes right now are basically banned in track and field. They just took away the last one yesterday. She was training and ready to compete, and they said, nope, you're out of here. See you just like that. That would drive me nuts as an athlete. You cleared me, and now you're pulling me back. Friends, God never does that to us in his grace. In his grace, as John will say, if you are showing this sign of love, that is a great encouragement to you that no one can ever snatch you out of his hand. That if you are showing the love that John's going to talk about here, that you can have assurance that even until the last breath you take, you are his. What a great assurance that is. You know what? Everyone else will fail us, but God will keep us strong forever. Amen? And that is our God. Let's stand up, as we often do here at our church, in honor of the Lord's word, if you're able. And we will read 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. 11 through 24. It's page 1021 in the Blue Bible on the pew, if you uh, need that reference. John writes, For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who is the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not, verse 13, be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that the, we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16. By this we know that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to also lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has a world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Notice the compare and contrast going through this whole section. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whatever our heart condemns us, verse 20, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And verse 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and love one another, Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he's commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God abides in him. What a great promise. And by this we know he abides in us, that the Spirit whom he has given us. Look, whether you like the Olympics or not, whether you like it or not, these ancient words are comparing and contrasting within our soul, even 2,000 years on. The question is, can I love God and hold on to my life and not love the brothers? That's a big question, and we'll get to that practically as we go through. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Father, we have a lot to unpack this morning, and Father, we pray for great wisdom as we do it. Lord, many of us are walking in here with health concerns of family members or personally. We're walking in with family problems. Father, we're walking in with job or, or relationship problems. We are just walking in with all sorts of stuff. Father, we have a lot of stuff to do. We have a lot of stuff to talk about both as a church and as individuals and pray through and do. Life is busy. Life is hectic. Life is crazy. But Father, you are constant and you know everything. And Father, reassure our hearts today as, as we trust in you that whatever we have going on, that our focus is on what you would say today. Father, I pray that you would reassure someone's heart of their salvation found only in you. But equally, Lord, I pray by your Spirit's power, Father, that you would convict and draw and, and bring to someone who doesn't know Christ the gospel truth. Father, that is something only you can do. 
Lord, we love you so, so much, not because we first loved you, but because you first truly indeed, above all things, loved us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. All right. It's a very interesting passage because it seems so easy to preach through. I can tell you this has uh, been one of the more difficult sections because it gets very practical, guys. It gets very, very practical. We talk about loving our brothers, loving, and, and ladies, let me just be very clear on this. This is a Delphoi in the Greek, which uh, Greeky geeky means brothers and sisters. This isn't just talking about men-to-men relationships, but this is a tough passage because it really gets to the heart of the question. Am I loving as Christ told me to love within Tower View Baptist Church where we attend and are members? So the first thing I want to get to is love flows out of Christ. And, and John says, don't follow Cain's example. Don't do it. Verse 11, look back at that. It flows right out of verse 10. Verse 11 comes right in here and just jumps straight into it. Uh, verse 10 said, by this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever practices righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So John isn't just starting a new heading, a new paragraph. He's going through the thought we looked at last week, that the child of God is going to live and walk in a different way. Look, if I told you a cow said, nay, you would look at me and say, Darren, do you need to read your toddler's books? And I would probably say, yes, because a cow doesn't say, nay. What does a cow say? Moo. And if a cow says nay instead, or instead of moo, then we are either in a Dr. Seuss book or the Twilight Zone, or we have missed the boat on something, right? In the same way, a Christian who says they are a Christian, but doesn't walk in the way God says to walk as a pattern of lifestyle, can be compared to a cow that says nay instead of moo. And that is exactly where John is driving at. And he's going to look at this. He's going to say, first off, in verses 11 through 13, love is at the heart of the gospel. It's very reminiscent of chapter 1, verse 5, but John says he has a message, a report, at which he heard from the beginning. And what is that report? The report is, is that we should love one another. Now, let's just be frank. This does not mean we go around a campfire, we all link arms, and we sway back and forth, and we sing kumbaya, okay? not what is being implied by this passage. It literally is an expression of the message that the Christian experience a time and time again is that we should continually love one another. John 15, 17, Jesus said, these things I command to you that you would love one another. Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Galatians 5, 13, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In fact, this love is written on over 15 different times in the book of 1 John. It's very, very important. And what Jesus is saying is that those who know Christ love consistently and comprehensively. They love continually and they love individually. This is not showing favorites. This is not, um, this is not showing biases. That's why church, as we look at this race issue across America, in the church, we are one. It is not red, it is not yellow, it is not black, it is not white. It is one in Christ. Amen? I hope you believe that. Now, that does not solve every single problem that this world faces because a lot of this is outside the church. But, friends, we need to realize as we look to love one to another that if we are not loving someone else based on their skin color, then we have lost the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Jews fought this. 
Because after all, we are a family first in here before you are a family first at home. Do you believe that? What does it say? Love one another because you know what? Even family can get into trouble. Look at verse 12. We should not be like Cain who was evil, the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? The age-old question, why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain's actions revealed who his true spiritual father was. Who was his father? His true spiritual father was none other than Satan himself. And this word here uh, comes, it means to butcher, to slay, or to slaughter. And what were his motives? Why did he do this? Why did he not show forth fruit like John talked about? Because Abel had a better sacrifice than him, and he got a little jealous of that. You know, we see this, our kids are in that stage uh, at home where at three and two, even with Simeon's autism, uh, that uh, they're starting, you know, you have to be very touchy with these things. You know, Simeon, you get one minute, and within one second, he's already pulling away his sister's toy. You know how this goes. And, and you've got to teach, and, and it's hard. It's very, very hard to do. Even as adults, it's very, very hard to do. But friends, love comes from the gospel. The love that is of the world is the love that was in Cain. Cain hated Abel and murdered him. And John says, don't be surprised at this. He says, look, verse 13, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The love that is in the world is not the love that is in the gospel. Friends, this is why we have to be very careful as a church who we partner with. There are general good deeds that we can do across the board, but as a church, our first primary benefit is to the love of God in the church and like-minded churches. And Cain hated his brother so much he killed him. That's crazy. You say, well, Darren, I'm not quite a murderer. I, you know, I would never do anything like that. But friend, isn't it Jesus in Matthew 5 who said that even if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, it's like you've murdered him. And that's why, don't be surprised, first application point here is that no one can hate you in this life more than Jesus was hated. Friends, don't be surprised or caught off guard when the people of this world act like Cain, they hate you. Even in the name of Christ, if you do good deeds, people will hate you for the name of Christ. Doesn't mean you be a jerk about it. Just going to use that phrase. Don't be a dummy about it. Don't, be, don't go out and be cavalier and just say, I want to get persecuted for Jesus. It's like that old John Wesley story. Wesley was riding on his horse 200 years ago, and he said, Lord, I haven't been persecuted lately. Do I know you? And all of a sudden, a big rock comes out of nowhere and knocks him off his horse, and he's bleeding, and his farmer neighbor was mad at him because he was sharing the gospel. You know what Wesley said? He said, praise God, I know that I'm a Christian. Thank God for that. But friends, what John is trying to say is we have to resist the primal urge to return hate with hate and murder with murder. That's why in this church, I pray we hold relationships accountable one to another. That if someone says or does something against someone else in this church, we don't just let it be, but we talk about it biblically, we talk about it lovingly, we talk about it thoroughly as what God would have us do. Because where the gospel has taken root, their natural fruit will be. So he says that's the first thing, love not like Cain, not like the world, but love as Christ has told you. Second thing he tells us here is that love provides assurance for eternal life. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Look, love has many benefits, many, many benefits, and one is that we know we've been born again. Notice that contrast. If you are in Christ, you will love in a certain way. If you are not in Christ, you will not love 
in a certain way. Look, John is not saying, to be very clear here, folks, John is not saying that Jesus, if you know Jesus, that you will, you know, you will be perfect. We've, we've dealt with that before. But what he is saying, as he said again, the word is continually. Do you continually love the brothers? Do you continually love the local church? Do you continually love those who name the name of Christ, regardless of skin color, regardless of socioeconomic class? Do you love as Christ has called us to love? Because if you don't, then John says, ding, 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 red flag, go up. That should be a great concern to you. The second application point comes straight quick here, friends, is this, is that we are more quick to attack our brothers in Christ than enemies outside the church, both of whom Jesus loved, died for, and that we are called to pray for. Remember that the enemy is not necessarily in this church. Friends, if you're a Christian here, the closest relationships you will ever probably have in your life prayerfully is happening right here. Even more so to some degree, perhaps, than uh, your spouse as that goes through, especially if you have a non-Christian spouse. But again, let's be clear. Eternal life is not earned by loving others, but it's evidence that we have eternal life. Look, if eternal life was there by loving others, do you think this world would be a little bit different? I think it would. It really would. But the question is, are you loving in this church the way you should do this? How do we do this practically? Young men, this means you take note of the older ladies in this church and you treat them even better, perhaps, than you would treat your mother at times. The older ladies, this means that you would take care of those middle-aged men who uh, you're looking at saying, you know, I know you could do this better, but you love on them as Christ loved you. I could go back and forth. Do you see how practical this gets? You know, maybe there's someone in this church who needs an extra ounce of prayer. Maybe you can call them up and say, hey, can I pray for you? Uh, You know, maybe there's someone who is just needing that extra encouragement this week because it's been a really tough week. Maybe pray for that opportunity. I don't know where God has you. But often in church, what do we do? And I've been guilty of this even as a pastor, is we walk in, we find our seat, We sit down, we shake hands, and what do we do? We leave. And that's where it stops. Friends, I pray that at Tower View, as we come together, that it would not just be a Sunday morning thing, but it would be an everyday thing as we come across this generation. That's why I so love our church, and I think you all do too. We are multi-generational. We have people who've been here since 1962. We have people who've been here since 2002. And we have some who've been here in the last two weeks. But together, we're unified around the gospel. Amen? And that is why we do what we do. So friends, as he says, don't love Cain. Don't follow that wisdom. Remember what Galatians 6.10 says. So as often as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those of the household of faith. I had to check myself on this this week. Do I do more good for those outside Christianity in the church than I do for those of the household of faith. Look, there, there should be some sort of balance there, but friends, as it comes down to the love he's talking about, the love, John says, is the love that starts first in the church. Love each other well, and the world will see a difference within us. But John says, no love, no life. No love, no life. My wife just stepped out to take care of her kids for a second, but uh, many of you have noticed something different about her lately, right? Many of you know she has a baby on board. She does. And this baby's on board. And many of you came up to me back in uh, June and said, is uh, Natalie pregnant? And I had to say, well, uh, change the subject. How, how's the weather outside today? You know, because my wife is a pretty skinny lady and, and showing any baby is going to show something. But you know, women, that when you have a baby, you start having changes. 
My wife couldn't eat guacamole three months ago. I mean, it was that bad. She wouldn't even be in the kitchen, you know. It was that bad. But now she loves guacamole. She's eating it down like Chipotle's going out of business or something, you know. There will be a changing inside of her. Hormones, taste, habits, anyone who has a baby. And if you say you're pregnant and there's no change within you, then there's, it's probably not, not happening. But if the changes are happening in the inside, just like a pregnant woman, they're going to happen on the outside as well. And friends, many of God's so-called children aren't pregnant with his love one to another because the changes aren't showing on the inside. How do you know you're a Christian? Has the love you have for other Christians grown in intensity and depth since you became a Christian? Now look, we've said this multiple times since I've been here. There are times when you will be hurt by the church. There are times I will hurt you. But the greatest gratitude that you have one to another is to seek that forgiveness to come together, to be a part of the body together. That is what God calls us to do. That's what God calls us to do. Let's go on to the second point. So how, how do you know, can you know God and hold on to your life? He says, look, love and don't follow his can example. But he also says, secondly, you, if you're a Christian, are to serve and follow Christ's model. Look back at verse 16, if you will. He then transitions. He says, by this we know love. Not just in word, but he says that he laid down his life for us. Who's the he there, church? Who is that? Jesus, right? He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth." You want to put in everyday practicality? You can't just talk the talk about loving other Christians. You've got to literally walk the walk, and sometimes at the expense of your life. Look, real love, God's love, is very tangible. It's not theoretical. It's not saying, you know, I love this about college because you could write a paper about how greed space aliens would come and solve all the world's problems, and as long as you had sources and it flowed well, you'd probably get an A on your paper. That's how it goes. Try and take that to your boss. Uh, when you're, you're suffering at work, and he'll look at you and say, what planet did you come from? It doesn't work like that. Friends, love in the Christian context is not some college paper you make up and try and defend just to defend the honoriness of our lives. It is something that is either being done or not. We can talk about love, write about love. We can even be John Lennon, and, and wasn't there a John Lennon song about love out there somewhere? Uh, there's probably five million songs about love out there. But what is love? Love starts in verse 16. Friends, love starts with what Christ did for you. That is the greatest love that God has ever shown to us. You know, this love that God has shown us is something that is unique only to Christianity. If you're not a Christian here today, I just want to let you know, I have read the Gita, I've read the Quran, I've read uh, the Buddhist text, I've read the Taoist text, I've read Wiccan texts I used to be into, all those things, and I can tell you that truth is only found in Jesus Christ. There's no other truth out there. Say, Darren, you just read those because you were a Christian. No, I wasn't. I was a rebellious teenager arguing with my youth pastor that evolution was true, embarrassing my mom on the preschool staff at First Baptist Plattsburgh because her son was being the rebellious kid into Wicca and all this bad stuff. There's truth only found in Christ, and therefore love starts with Christ. The God of this world appears to be winning the day, but he's losing it day by day by day. So he says, look, if you are a Christian, if you truly are a Christian, your love is more than just mere words. There's practicality, there's action behind it, and it starts with service. 
John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. Will you flip over to John 3.16 very quickly? Many of you say, Darren, I'm flipping in my mind. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But you know, John 3.16 says it this way. These are parallel, and the numbering in the Bible is not inspired. Let me just put that out there. The text is, the numbering was added in the Middle Ages. We're grateful for it. But in God's providence, as those numbers came about, John 3.16, if you know it with me, just say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now I want you to read 1 John 3.16 with me, guys. Flip back over. And I heard like King James, English Standard, NIV, and a little bit of mix in there as well. It's always fun to quote those verses. 1 John 3.16, I want to read this out loud if you will with me. On three, ready? One, two, three. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Look, the former, John 3.16, is a demonstration of love. This is an explanation of love. John says that God gave his son for us, John 3.16. But 1 John says we should give our lives for others. Give our lives for others. This is why theology, the study of the Bible, is never done in a vacuum. This is why seminary is sometimes called cemetery, because people go to study the Bible and they just get facts and there's no heart language to it. But friends, if you want to see love, look at the cross. If you want to show love, look at the cross. If you want to know love, look at the cross. If you want to live love, look at the cross. That's where it starts. And that's why the first application point is that real community doesn't just happen on its own. It doesn't just happen in a theoretical vacuum. It happens when real people, real Christians, love with patience, authenticity, time, sacrifice, and forgiveness. That is what real community is in the gospel. Community in the church is not just coming together on Sunday morning. That's a great start. We are called to do that. But real community, church, starts when all these things come out of our knowledge of God's love and play out in how we love, how we're patient with one another, how authentic we are with one another. You say, Darren, what in the world does that mean? It means you're not afraid to take off your mask at church. That means that you're not afraid to say, man, I'm not the perfect Christian after all. I hope if you feel that way that we take a pen and we boop, and all the hot air goes out. Friends, I pray that at this church, we are not afraid to come up to you and say, man, I'm really struggling right now. I'm struggling. Would you pray for me, brother, sister? That takes time. That takes sacrifice. And often, as a foundation, it takes forgiveness. If our church, if you would pray those things for our church, we would be transformed. A picture directory is going to be awesome because you know what? The greatest thing outside your Bible you can have as a Christian is the membership directory. The second best book you can have is a membership directory. Why? Because you can start praying for those people that now you can put faces to names with. Pray through your church directory. Pray through everything that God has given you. Friends, what Paul is say, what John is saying here is very simply that real community doesn't just happen when we know Christ died for us intellectually, but practically it plays itself out. And he goes on in verse 17, he says, Service for others always involves giving. Look at back at verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees a brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, second time he's used that phrase, third time actually, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Look, Peter came up to Jesus. You may remember this. Some of you Bible guys, Bible scholars, and came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I will go to the end with you. And what did, Je what did Jesus say to him? Do you remember? 
I said, Peter, <laughs> my translation, that's great, but you're going to deny me how many times? Three times before that happens. Look, what does this mean that you're willing to give your life? Literally, it can mean that you're willing to give your life for another brother. That could be what it is. But could you let me sleep on your couch until I get my feet back up? Could you help me out with my electric bill or a few medications for my sick kids that they need just to get through this week or this day? Could you help me with an extra shirt or a back or help me with job assistance? Could you do that? Friends, I pray that we're doing that one to another. Many of you are behind the scenes. But talk is cheap, and I suspect that John originated that concept in the Bible. John wants to get down and dirty with this phrase and provide some basic real living. He says, look, Jesus had a life to give and you have stuff to give. You can't give your life to save someone else in the salvific sense, but Jesus saw our need and gave it to us. Yet he says to this church, he says, these false teachers will tell you, just go and believe what you want. It doesn't matter what you do with anyone else. But isn't James the one who warned us? James 2, 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them what is needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. A dead faith is dead love, and neither of them does any good before us. That's why the greatest enemies of our church aren't atheists, aren't radical Muslims, aren't cultists, aren't whatever it is, but are hypocritical. And I'm pointing five fingers back at myself here, church. Ten fingers, really. And toes if I could. Hypocritical, pharisaical, and nominal Christians. What has been the downfall of the church in America? There's been lots of things. Teaching the truth of the word of God is one of them. But the second one is, is that little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Church, if we're not willing to sacrifice, whatever that may mean for you, physically, for someone else in this church, then we probably miss the boat of what it means to know Christ. You may choose to do nothing, though your words are promised high, but that is what it's called to do. I love the story about a man and a pastor and his giving to the church. And it was, goes something like this. A man came up to the pastor and said, Pastor, when I was making $30,000 a year, I gave generously to the Lord. Now I'm making $250,000 a year, and I don't give anything to the Lord. And as the wise pastor would, he pulled the man to the side, and he said, can we pray, brother? He said, pastor, of course, I'll pray any time with you. And he bowed his head, and the pastor said, Lord, would you please take this brother back to $30,000 a year so we can start giving and living for you again. The point of that story is that often as we get so much more stuff in this world, that sometimes to give something away truly to someone in our church or someone who knows Christ in need is very hard, isn't it? Friend, maybe today the prayer that you need to pray, the prayer that I need to pray is, Lord, break me of my idols of this world. Lord, I've been chasing the American dream, better salary, bigger car, better house. Maybe home improvement is your God. Maybe getting your house to have the best on the block. Maybe you're going for that TV show. I think it's still around that if you put up 500,000 lights at Christmas, you can be on the show and hopefully win some money. Maybe that's your, I don't know. But friends, I pray that as we look at this church, that you might pray this week, Lord, who is it in my path, especially in the household of God, that is in need that I may be able to help out, that I may be able to do? That's a great prayer, and it starts right there. Let's end with this, number three. He says, look, can I know God and hold on to the world? 
Can I know God and not love the brothers? He said, love and don't follow Cain's example, first off. He said, serve and follow Christ's model, second. And this last point, I don't think we're going to get through it for, for sake of time because I made it a lot longer than I thought. But love for others reassures your heart that you belong to God. Love for others reassures your heart that you belong to God. I'll be honest with you, I debated whether we should delve into the, this, this next passage or just save it for another time because he's making a turn here, John is. But I think it's very important to note where he's going with this. Look back at verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Practical language, church. By this we'll know that we're truly Christians. By this we'll know we're not just American nominal Christians that say the name of Jesus on Sunday and live like something else the rest of the week. That's what he's driving at. He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. What is the truth? Friends, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. This is why don't believe the cultural maxims out there that say, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and you do your truth, I do my truth, and we'll just claim to get along. Knowing how to love starts with the truth. The truth is, is that God gave his son for us, and he's building on that. Verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, let me just pause right there. How do you know you're a Christian? One way you know you're a Christian is that your heart, through the power of the Spirit, condemns you. If you have never weeped over your sin, then that is a sign, not only that you don't love the brothers, but you may not be a brother or sister yourself. The old dead guys, haven't quoted them in a long time, right? You might be old and dead listening to the old dead guy quotes. I don't know. But one thing I can say is this. The old dead guys always, the Puritans, as much as they got wrong, I think they got this right. They would examine their lives almost to an extent at which if I haven't seen God's saving hand on my life, if I haven't confessed my sin regularly, then do I really know Christ? And some of these are names you'll know. Jonathan Edwards. How many of y'all know that name? Uh, Jeff Jones is reading through that book right now. I gave him, he's like, wow, this is heady stuff. I'm like, yeah, a sentence will keep you for a week in a lot of ways. How about George Whitfield? Anyone ever heard that name before? American history guys? The greatest preachers of America in times gone by would look at their lives and say, Lord, my heart condemns me. Would you forgive me? And this is why John goes on. He says, for whenever our heart condemns us, here's the great news. God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. If you're a highlighter, highlight that in pink, yellow, red, green. Make, make it, uh, do whatever you need to do. Friends, your hearts are going to condemn you at times. There are times when Satan will look at you as an enemy. And remember, Satan is real. He's not just some pitchfork guy in Dante's Inferno that runs around poking people, hoping they'll go down to the deepest depths. Satan is real, guys. He really is. He's a literal real. But God is greater than he, amen? He will not win this world. And he says, look, if you want to know that you are in Christ, loving others reassures us that we're truly saved. But remember this, God is greater than your heart. When you come before God and there is a false guilt in you, and there will be because Satan puts it there sometimes, God will reassure your heart that you are truly his. And when you are in sin, there is no greater joy. Didn't David pray, Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. If you are in sin, and you will be in sin, Christian, even this side of heaven, that love will reassure you. Loving others also goes along that way. Look, I don't love perfectly as a pastor. I will fail you many times, unfortunately. And that's not a blanket. I, I apologize in advance. Please forgive me for any oops I make. 
but truly I will fail you as a pastor. Matt, loving, will fail you as a youth pastor at times. Youth, deacons, these godly men we get to serve with on a weekly basis will fail you at times. Your Sunday school teacher, your small group leader will fail you. But the love that you show to them, even when they may sin against you, is proof, evidence that God can reassure your heart to know that you are truly in Him. The greatest love that comes to show the Christ's love to the world is when Christians come forth and say, look, I've messed up. I'm supposed to be a leader here. Will you forgive me? And to accept that forgiveness. So how do you know you're a Christian? Do I really know Christ? Let me give you a threefold test, and I think we're going to end here, and I'll send out the other notes through email for time's sake. But friend, do, do, do you have belief in Christ? Do I really believe enough and rightly about Jesus? How do you know you're a Christian? It comes out in how you love others, but it starts with a belief. Do you really believe that a guy, an a, a, a itinerant Jew, 2,000 years ago, who claimed the name Yeshua, Jesus, as we know it today, Joshua, in another sense, came on this earth, came down on this earth. Literally, he's God. Maybe you say, well, stop right there. Don't stop right there. Because if you know Christ, you've got to keep going. And he lived the life we couldn't live. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He lived the life perfectly, obediently. No sin in him. He died on that cross. And when he died on that cross, he took the wrath of God. Friends, God is not just a loving God. He is a God of wrath and justice as well. Amen? I hope you can say amen to that because that is your assurance someday that you too will be in heaven. And on that cross, it wasn't 98%. This isn't what, this is, we don't have to do penance. We don't have to get baptized. We don't have to give money to the church. We do need to do those things to some degree, but not for salvation. On that cross, Christ took it all, every part of it. Not one piece of it was left undone. When he said, it is finished, it's like if you took your house loan and someone came up to you and said, you owe $110,000. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of money. That's what Alex Rodriguez made like one pitch on Friday before he retired, I'm pretty sure. But you know what? They'll come up to you, and Jesus said, it is finished. And it's like someone took your house loan, and boom, it's gone. Medical bills that you have, boom, gone. Whatever your debt is financially, Christ took that super, infinitively, spiritually on your behalf. How do you know Christ? Loving others reassures you, but it starts with that truth. And he didn't just die. Three days later, church, what did he do? He rose again, and that is the hope that we have. We don't serve a dead Savior. We receive a risen Savior. Everyone else is dead in the grave. Christ is alive. What great hope that is. No other hope. And the often not preached part of theology is he ascended. He went back up to heaven, and he sat down at the right hand. What does that mean? He was tired. Whew, that raising for the dead thing is hard, man. No, he sat down as a sign of authority. And once again, he will come back. That is the gospel. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then that is great hope that you have. That is where you start with loving others. So when that brother or sister wrongs you and rubs you the wrong way, you can have a conversation about them in the name of Jesus and be forgiven one to another, be restored. When that person who said they'd pay you back that $2,000 loan in the name of Christ, you can work with them on that and not be like the man who, when he was forgiven of his debt, went to all the other people and said, literally shook him by the neck and said, give me your money. Do you see how the love of Christ changes you? Do you know Christ? Are you obedient? Am I really obeying as God said? Let's be very clear. We are not saved by our works. I was accused, this is the first time in my life, and I, I won't share the context of the time, but I was accused a couple months ago 
First time ever, and this is very odd for many of you know me, I was accused that, of telling someone that works get them to heaven. Uh, as a Baptist pastor, that's like a cold, cold ice water when you're in a deep sleep, right? Guys, we are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what has been done perfectly for us on the cross of Calvary. That is how we are saved. We don't have a good angel on one side, a bad angel on another. Forget Tom and Jerry theology. The truth is, is that we have Christ and that is enough. But are you obedient to that? When Christ says, love your brother even when he hates you and pray for him even when he hates you, are you following that obedience to that end? That is evidence that you know Christ. And finally, love. Is my love for others what it should be? Many of you Christians in here, I'm not trying to, please hear me clearly. None of us will have the love to where it should be. But Christian, is your heart set towards that end? And even though you may do it imperfectly, that God will bless that effort. God will bless that effort. Guys, we love you all so much. And we see such loving community in here. And that's why going through a book like this of 1 John can be dangerous. Because many of you will look at your heart and say, well, I don't know Christ. Darren, Pastor, you said this. I'm not doing this, that, and the other. God reassures our hearts. But it starts with the right belief. It starts with obeying his commands, not for salvation, but for fruit of salvation. And it starts by loving others. That's the Christian life right there, guys. Matt, why did we go to seminary? I don't know. Do you believe right? Do you obey right? Are you loving right? I told you there's a lot more to this. We're going to let it be. Is that okay? I want to keep going, but I know we've got another 30 minutes of text we could knock out. But friends, I just ask you a simple question today. If you're a Christian here today, would you pray this week that God would break your heart of any idols that are causing you to love a brother or sister in this church truly as it should be? Quite frankly, maybe it's something that happened in the past. Maybe something that happened that they don't know. I, I don't know. And I'm not saying that doesn't come without real hurt, real pain, because friends, we live in a life of real hurt and real pain, don't we? But God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Would you seek that forgiveness? If you're not a Christian here today, can I just ask you a simple question? What are you waiting on? I'm not going to promise you the moon, but I'm going to promise you the one who holds the moon. (laughs) If you want to know Christ, know Christ you want to be saved, come down after the service. We'll talk, we'll set an appointment. Walking down does not save you, only Christ does that. But if you don't know for sure, if you died today, with all love in my heart, can I ask you, what are you waiting on to be assured of that? I wish I had a magic wand, as some TV preachers do, and just wave a hand and everyone gets saved. I wish I had that, I don't. But Christ doesn't need that, because in his hand, he holds everything. Everything, on earth, under the earth. He's an amazing God. He's amazing God. Let's pray, guys.